This is Cast Club Radio. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling. On Cast Club Radio, we believe every spirit has a story. And stories like good drinks are always better when shared with friends. Each week, we'll explore the intersection of cocktails, spirits, beer, wine, and life. It's Cast Club Radio. Here's your hosts, Lydia Cruz and Justin Stiefel. Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Cast Club Radio. Thanks so much for joining us today. My name is Lydia Cruz. I'm Maura Dooley. And I'm Justin Stiefel. Well, Justin, how was the Hawaii vacation? That's where we were checking in with you from last week. The vacation was good. I got a lot of work done, which is, sounds strange for people, but for anybody who knows me, they know that I don't take downtime very well and I don't vacation very well. Uh, so <laughs> I was going to say, you don't wife, vacation right. No, I don't. Uh, so my wife and kids uh, had a great time. I was able to go scuba diving. Uh, my oldest son, Tanner, was certified as a scuba diver. He's 15. So we went out and did our first dive together. That was great. Lots of turtles. We swam with some sharks. That. Yep. The weather was good. As they say in Hawaii, the weather's it's always 80, except when it's 81. And uh, <laughs> so we were able to get away from some of the rain and snow we had here. But we're glad to be back. And you may notice my voice sounds a little different. And uh, I think I just caught something while I was over there. But oh, I no. assure you, I'm fine. <laughs> All right. Well, get well soon because uh, you need to amp up. It's it's restaurant week, Justin. It is restaurant week. It's restaurant week all over. So Tacoma has restaurant week and Seattle. And this is one of those national times where in the industry, this is what we call a shoulder month or shoulder season. So it's where people are not going out as much as they would around the holidays or in the summer. So this is a week where the restaurants get together, they co-brand, they put together amazing meals and pricing options, and it's a chance for you to go try some great entrees at really affordable prices in places that you would not normally be able to get into during the, the height of the season. So go out and support your local restaurants. And when you're there, of course, uh, support your local winemakers, brewers, and uh, distillers by ordering some local products. Yeah, I mean, most of these are, I love to eat, so it's one of my favorites because most of these are multiple courses for a really good yep. price. So yeah, you might as well throw in a beverage since you're already getting yeah. a great deal. <laughs> Get the price fix option. Usually these things are running for 25 to 35 bucks for the full three or four course menu. And it's, it's an amazing deal. Yeah. So go out there and enjoy. Yeah. You can't beat it. And we're actually going to be talking to some of the participants that are out your way from Gig Harbor later in the show. Yeah. Absolutely. What is going on in the headlines this week, Justin? Well, in the news, Target is releasing a new line of wines under $10 a bottle. All right. Uh, I like it. So, Target is the latest national retailer to get into kind of the private label option. The collection is going to have Cabernet Sauvignon. It's going to have a blend, and it's going to have a Pinot Grigio, a Chardonnay, and, of course, the latest hot trend, Rosé. So those will be out in the market, $9.99 each. Comes from a, uh, it's called California Roots, is how they're branding it. And it's going to be interesting to see where they put these things in the wine section relative to others. So you're probably going to see big end caps of uh, these wines that are uh, privately labeled by Target because that'll get in front of the consumer first and foremost if they put it on the end cap in the main aisle. It's supposed to launch on March 3rd, so right around the corner. Awesome. I'll just add that to the list of uh, things that I buy that I don't go into Target for, but I somehow end up with a, a massive purchase. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, Target and Costco. Those are the, the two stores where that happens. Yes. <laughs> Next up, we found this uh, little ditty in the drinks business. It's uh, the article's entitled Totes Amaze Double Pour Wine Handbag is Launched. And it's called the Porto Vino. It is a tote bag. It actually looks kind of stylish. It's a leather tote yeah. bag. It comes in two shades. It comes in either a Chardonnay tan or a Merlot maroon. Of course. Makes the ideal gift for indecisive wine lovers. Why? Because the handbag features two removable pouches in a secret insulated zippered pocket capable of holding two standard size bottles of wine. Wow. According to the maker, it has braided handles with soft cotton interior linings. It was designed with concerts, picnics, and the beach in mind. It's on sale on Amazon. It The handbag is sold with two reusable wine bladders, so you're going to pour your uh, red or white wine in there and hook it up. And doesn't say how much it's going to cost when it finally launches, but we'll, we'll post a picture. It's got this cool little flap that hides the uh, spout. So then you just lift the flap, there's the spout, and you fill your glass. Recommend you do not take this to school. <laughs> no, but it yeah. sounds like you may be able, if you're a little bit of a rule breaker, to sneak it into some concerts or sporting venues. <laughs> uh, you know, most of these major events that are being held at uh, NFL and Major League Baseball stadiums, um, NFL football stadiums, oh, the clear they're acquiring the clear bags now. Yeah, yeah. so. If that's the case, get a bladder and fill it with vodka or gin, and you're good to go. <laughs> but yeah, this is kind of cool. They say, you know, maybe for a picnic, and it even is insulated, so you can keep your wine, if you have a white wine in there, or rosé yeah. or something cold. So Yeah, it's kind of a cool little trick. Yeah. Next up, interesting article, and this shows you what happens when you have the right focus of both commerce and policymaking. Kentucky bourbon industry is now worth $8.6 billion with a B. This is a study that was done according to the Kentucky Distillers Association. Uh, they have seen a 60% increase in the value of their industry since 2009. This is $8.6 billion annually that that industry contributes to the state's economy. It focuses in on local tax revenue, almost $235 million in state tax revenue, payroll topping a billion dollars, over 20,000 jobs, the 20,000 jobs they currently have in Kentucky related to their bourbon industry, it's a 104% increase since 2009. The building boom continues to go on massive uh, distillery expansion. Major brands are putting in uh, millions and hundreds of millions of dollars. So far, the total uh, in recent combined announced uh, expansion plans is over $2.3 billion dollars in new distillery capacity and warehouse expansion in Kentucky. Now, what's this coming from? Kentucky made a decision to begin to outwardly brand itself as the bourbon capital. They have the history there, but they changed their tax structure and they changed how they allow distilleries to open and do business. And it has seen this flourishing effect and lots of investment and lots of jobs. So for those of you that are you know, focused on good policy in other states, the more that state policymakers can do to support industry, the more jobs, the more sales, the more tax, the more exports you see. And uh, Kentucky is a great example of that. Yeah, and I think it's something that we've talked about here as well. It seems like they kind of have embraced the expansion of it and they don't try to, you know, smush new people coming into the business. They embrace each other and help each other out. And it's great to see how much business can grow and just create jobs for everyone when you do that. 
That's right. And states are trying to one-up each other. They want to, you know, be the place where people make investments. And so here in Washington or in Oregon or Idaho or Alaska, folks in the state legislatures, they have to wake up and take notice and say, if we want to stay competitive and we want to allow people to continue to invest in our state and create jobs, we need to create good policy that uh, makes those investments viable. Exactly. Coming up on Cast Club Radio, we've talked a lot about new trends in the beer, wine, and liquor spirits industry. Usually we talk about exciting ones, but maybe there's some that you're just tired of hearing about. That's next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Thanks so much for joining us today. Before the break, we teased... Maybe there'll be some trends that you are just sick of in 2019, specifically trends in craft beer. This comes from a list from The Thrillist. All right. Well, first up, Justin, on the list is something I have not seen yet, but this isn't the first time that we've talked about it on this show. So apparently it is a trend. Glitter beer. Yeah, you've been seeing it probably on Instagram and on social media. And uh, frankly, we're seeing it lately in cocktails. People are trying to make glittery cocktails. I'm not sure what the uh, desire is to put flakes of plastic and metal in your body. And I'm sure that the kidneys were not designed to handle that. So glitter beer is one of the things that I personally would not participate in and i would be happy to see this go away yeah i would have to agree with you on that one i mean i could see it for being at a bar and wanting something to instagram but i don't want to drink it no no make it into a candle or something figure out <laughs> polish but just don't make me drink it keep it out of my drinks yes that's right next up and this is something that you see at every craft brewery this is the what they call the pathological obsession with newness now what does that mean well it used to be that every brewery had a flagship beer. We can think about some of the, the most famous flagship beers by brand. Sam Adams, it was uh, their Boston Lager. Deschutes, it was Mirror Pond. For New Belgium, it was Fat Tire. Locally, Red Hook, it was ESB, Extra Special Bitter, and so on. But now, with so many breweries that have to contend for the customer's attention, they have turned to this continual rotation of new flavors, new options, and just newness in general, to the point where they're just forgetting their flagships, and flagships are being pushed to the side. So uh, they're actually something that was called flagship February, urging people to go back into the microbreweries and, you know, go back to the flagships. Because if if you can't develop a consumer following around an anchor product, then as a company, you are not going to be able to survive very long. That's just that's just the reality of the situation. Yeah, that's kind of sad because I think that you look at all of those beers and you realize that they made that brewery famous for a reason and to, to see them go away just because people want the latest, newest thing or struggle because people want the latest, newest thing, is it's sad to me. Yeah, you cannot get scale if you don't have a flagship. You know, in, in any successful business enterprise, especially consumer goods, 70% of your sales are going to come from one product. It's going to be your lead dog product, and you build everything else around that. So if you can't rely on that, then the retailers, if you're a brewery, you want to sell cans to retailers. If you're going to bars or restaurants, you want to sell kegs for the taps. If they can't rely on it because you're constantly changing it, you're not going to get shelf space. And if you don't get shelf space and you can't get scale, you can't get your cost down, and then you really are going to have a hard time. Does it make you more hesitant to come out with too many new releases because you don't want to convolute things too much? 
Well, I think what has happened is the breweries have entered this mutually assured destruction pact without knowing <laughs> it. So, you know, it used to be when the U.S. and Russia were threatening to, to launch missiles at each other for strike capability, no one pushed the button. Well, here, they're trying to get customers in the door. And how do they do it? Oh, I'm going to have something new. Here, I've got a new release. i got a new recipe. And then they realize that so many people come in to try that, but they only try it once. Yeah. And then, then they're stuck. Then they got to come up with something new again, and on and on and on. So, it it's a pattern they have fallen into, and I don't think they realize the danger it presents to their business viability. Wow. Let's see. Next up here, crowlers with a C, like growlers. So. Uh, what the enterprising folks have done in the beer industry is they've taken the 32-ounce beer and they've put it into this can-type format that you can reseal and recan. And uh, the author of this article is not a fan because they, they think the beer goes bad just as quickly in the crowler as it does in the glass growler. So they think it's just a fad, but they acknowledge that it's a fad that's probably not going to go away. I've never tried the crowler thing, have you? Uh, I have not, but uh, I know multiple breweries in our area that do deploy them. Yeah, it is popular. Lydia's told us before that her parents are big beer people, and I'm interested to see if they've tried it. Yeah, my parents, huge fans of the crowler trend. I think it just gives them another option, more flexibility. And I don't see this going away anytime soon, at least uh, here in the Pacific Northwest. People seem to be huge fans of it. It just gives you another option other than uh, getting a glass container, usually one that you have to return and I know a lot of people, they put in a deposit or whatever for, for an actual growler. So I don't see this one going away anytime soon. Maybe people just think it's too hipstery and that's why they don't like it. Ah. But uh, but uh, I can see at least my, my parents and other people who are really into beer uh, sticking with it for a while. Next up on the list of interest here was talking about corn. So if you remember, we talked about the Super Bowl ads a couple of weeks ago where Anheuser-Busch and Bud Light, was they are making fun of uh, competitors for using corn syrup. Well, that has started this big discussion about the evils of corn and who's using corn and who's not using <laughs> corn. So this discussion about corn can probably go away because, look, the reality is this. When you cook corn and you break the starch down, you're breaking the starch down into sugar. If you're using corn in your beer, you're going to make corn syrup. You don't. This, this is not buying corn syrup off the market necessarily. So I think Bud Light was just trying to take advantage of the lack of scientific understanding on the part of consumers to attack their competitors in a way that looked made them try to look bad. I was interested to see, though, I know that when the farmers were upset with them, they issued an apology, but I did still see some of those spots running after the Super Bowl. I guess maybe once you've oh, yeah. already purchased it, you're not going to back out even if you did upset some people. It continues the discussion. They, they got the bulk of their backlash uh, within that first 24 to 48 hours, and the rest they're going to let it ride. But I'm going to give you an example. Uh, when it comes to bourbon, all bourbon is made with corn syrup, technically. Why? Because bourbon is majority corn. When you mash the corn, the corn starch converts to corn syrup, and then you add yeast and you ferment it. So that's just the reality of the situation behind it and it's not a bad thing it's just the chemistry involved no that makes sense i think for for us that are not involved in in that process that makes more sense to me that that's just part of the process it's not something that's added which i think is what you would probably the impression you would get from that commercial 
Yeah. Next up on the list, milkshake IPAs. Now, for some reason, the uh, author doesn't like milkshake IPAs, but, you know, I don't think anything ever bad has come from adding alcohol to ice cream to make a milkshake. That that sounds pretty delicious to me. Yeah. No, I don't have an issue with it. It's not something that you want every day, but no. I like it. And then beer floats, you know, they talk about beer floats here. They do quote Arnold Schwarzenegger from one of his movies where he says, milk is for babies. <laughs> but <laughs> I think having an authentic beer float instead of using root beer, using real beer with the right kind of ice cream, especially if it's a stout mm-hmm. or a really creamy porter. Make, that, that They're would make already amazing cl- so close. Floats. You might as well just take them over the edge and and make them like a, a yeah, float or a milkshake. Like Guinness is already so close to being that. <laughs> Absolutely. And then last on the list here from the author is the annual pumpkin beer freakout. They evidently don't like all the pumpkin beers that come out during uh, the fall, <laughs> and uh, they wish it would just go away. We've talked on the show in the past about that and and kind of what a nightmare it is for those brewers to be making the pumpkin beer because of the processes involved. But I don't think it's going away anytime soon, just like pumpkin spice lattes at Starbucks are not going to go away. No, I don't think so either. I mean, I don't understand why it bothers people so much. I don't I don't really do the pumpkin spice latte craze, but I don't care if they're there and other people want to enjoy them. Yeah, it leaves other good stuff for you to choose instead. Yeah. And I've had a pumpkin beer that I've liked before. Just doesn't you don't need like that pumpkin pie spice sweetness, but if it just has a little a little pumpkin flavor to it, I'm I enjoy it. Yeah. Well, one thing that never goes out of style is great food and up next on Cast Club Radio We're going to talk to some of the creative minds behind Gig Harbor Restaurant Week, which begins tomorrow. You don't want to miss out on it. That's next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Right now, we're joined by some familiar friends, Mary Demaris, the Alliance Executive Director of the Gig Harbor Downtown Waterfront Alliance, and Josh Sherwin, the Special Projects Coordinator. And they've actually brought some friends with them to talk about something we brought up earlier, which is Restaurant Week. Hi, nice to be here. We're excited to be here. Thank you for having us. We have two of our local restaurateurs with us this morning. We have Jenny Bean from Anthony's, General Manager at Anthony's, and we have Katie Doherty, who is the owner of Bricks and Brimstone Pacific Northwest Smokehouse. Hello. Well, Restaurant Week is something that we're pretty excited about here. There are so many great places to check out, and I think it's just an opportunity for people to kind of maybe go to places they haven't been before, and you usually get to try multiple courses, so you get to really get a feel for the restaurant, and it's a great deal. How long has Gig Harbor been participating in Restaurant Week? Well, this is our second, this is our second year, so we're relatively new to it. Of course, Restaurant Week has been around the country for decades now, but we found that it's uh, very much in keeping with the mission of our organization. Um, Usually, Restaurant Week gets put on by, like, a local chamber of commerce or a restaurant association, but not in this case. In this case, it's the Gig Harbor Downtown Waterfront Alliance, and we are a Main Street organization, and a big part of our mission is to encourage economic vitality in our, downtown, in our downtown Main Street district. So inviting people to participate in Restaurant Week is one of the many ways that we do that. Do you usually see more of a local turnout, or do you see a lot of visitors and tourists come in for it? Well, I think we see a mix of both, and I think the first time around we did have a lot of local participation, 
but we really are appreciative of this opportunity to get the word out. We've got great restaurants downtown and love to see our neighboring communities come see us. So Jenny Bean is joining us. She's the manager at Anthony's at Gig Harbor. And I know that uh, they have a, a lot of locations. Is everyone participating in Restaurant Week for Anthony's? You know, a lot of our Seattle locations do participate in the Seattle Restaurant Week, which I believe is in April. But we're the only Anthony's here that's doing the Gig Harbor Restaurant Week. Awesome. And can you tell us a little bit about what people can expect when they come there for Restaurant Week? Well, we're excited to offer guests an opportunity to taste through some of our carefully selected two- and three-course offerings for lunch and dinner during Restaurant Week. And some of our newer items, such as the Dungeness Crab and Patagonia Shrimp Roll, have quickly become fan favorites. Well, we will also have some of our solid go-to options, such as our award-winning clam chowder, blackened rockfish tacos, and Oregon Bay Shrimp Fettuccine. All our seafood is locally and sustainably sourced by the head of our seafood company, Tim Perlman. We've been lucky enough to have him operating our seafood company since 1984 to ensure that we're giving our guests the freshest quality of Northwest seafood available. So it's just a great opportunity to showcase our restaurant. Yeah. I'm getting hungry already. I know. <laughs> well, and I mean, the Pacific Northwest is so is so known for having great seafood, and then that's something that, of course, Anthony's is known for as well. I also want to bring up that you have a pretty spectacular view there at Anthony's at Gig Harbor. It is pretty spectacular, yes. You know, Gig Harbor itself is just a really beautiful location, and we're just we're really happy to be part of the community and support the Alliance whenever we can. And Jenny, Anthony's is such a staple here in the Pacific Northwest, known for high-quality seafood. Are people going to be getting some of the classics, or are there going to be new items on this menu for Restaurant Week? Well, yeah, it is, it is high-quality seafood um, from our seafood company, and we are just featuring some, some new items that are really popular, but also some of the traditional items that have been popular for years. And we're just excited. You know, every restaurant has a unique connection downtown, and we support one another, and it's exciting to showcase this event together, all of the restaurants together. Yeah, it seems like it's a pretty tight-knit community down there. I know we have uh, Katie Doherty from Bricks 25 and Brimstone Pacific Northwest Smokehouse on the line as well. So you have Hello. two restaurants participating. Two of the three that we have are participating this week. Awesome. I'll start with Bricks 25. I was, I was looking online, and I know that it says that you're proud to be an intimate restaurant. Can you tell us a little more about just it being like a smaller, cozier venue? Um, yeah, we are a little bit smaller. We're now on the waterfront. We just moved. We're almost a year into our new location, so we moved down to the waterfront. And it is a smaller a smaller restaurant. We seat about 60 people, and it really allows the chef team to spend some quality time on the dishes and, and really have a lot more creativity than, than you sometimes can have in larger restaurants. And then I know that Restaurant Week people are normally coming in for the course menu, but it looks like you have a uh, Northwest-focused wine list that people can try from as well. Oh, most definitely. Yeah, we have an, a, a really spectacular wine list. We have about 250 selections. All Northwest, Oregon, Washington are the only representations on the list. We're very proud of that list. And then over at Brimstone Pacific Northwest, I was looking, and things that jumped out to me were messy tacos, smoked meats, donuts and arcade games. It sounds like an, an interesting mix. Can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, you know, that that restaurant has really been um, a fun one for us. It's only been open about three months right now. Um, and, and it is kind of a mix of everything we thought was kind of fun. Um, we have a serious restaurant in Bricks, and we really wanted a place where everybody could relax a little bit. So it is that. It's come in, get your 
fingers messy, dig into the food and just kind of, you know, throw your inhibitions at the door and just come in and relax for a while. All right. And Restaurant Week is going to be going on in Gig Harbor from March 3rd through 7th. Jenny and Katie, are both of you serving lunch and dinner for Restaurant Week? Yes, we are doing both a lunch and a dinner special for Restaurant Week, Sunday through Thursday. And Bricks is only a dinner restaurant, so they'll only be doing dinner. Um, And Brimstone will be doing, they're more of an all-day restaurant, so they'll be offering the menu all day. We're in a unique situation, though, because our restaurants are five-day-a-week restaurants, so we're closed on Tuesdays. So we do our restaurant week in three days. Um, So we're open Sunday, Monday, and Thursday of restaurant week. Um, But the benefit to that is for us is that we get to go to the other restaurants in Gig Harbor and experience them. So if you're looking for us on Tuesday and Wednesday, check us out, Millville Restaurant, Devoted Kiss. We'll be at all those places. Perfect. You talked about the tight-knit community down there in Gig Harbor. What do you think is special about being a restaurant there? I think it's special because of our community and just the ability to, you know, give them great food and service in this beautiful setting. Yeah, you really can't um, disregard how gorgeous this harbor is and, and everyone that gets a chance to come visit it. Um, I think both Jenny and I both see a lot of people that come to visit this area. And it's just so spectacularly beautiful while still being an intimate town. I think it just makes the people that live here feel special and the people that visit feel special. And it's really nice to be part of that community. Well, everyone should definitely go down and check it out. Like I said, I think it's the perfect opportunity to try some restaurants that you've been wanting to try and maybe a little more of the menu than you normally would because there are course options. And, and of course, when you're, when you're getting a good deal on a coursed-out menu, then you have some room to try some of the wines and cocktails that you should check out as well. Yeah, I'd like to, to, to mention also that um, if someone would like to get a look at the complete list of the participating restaurants, and the menus that they're offering, they are on our Facebook page at Gig Harbor's Waterfront Restaurant Week. And then what else does the Gig Harbor Downtown Waterfront Alliance have coming up? So on April 6th, we have our slightly delayed winter sip and stroll. Uh, there will be about 20 stops where people can go and sample uh, regional wines and have food tastes. It will be running from uh, 12 to 4. We have a wine store available so people can purchase the wines that they have tasted. Um, This had been originally scheduled for February date, but it got snowed out. So this is our winter sip and stroll that we are moving up to to springtime. Yes, that snowstorm caused a bit of a mess for everyone, I think. Yes, it did. (laughs) But we don't get many of those here, so I guess we can't complain too much. Those tickets are available on eventbrite.com, and right now there is an early bird price of $35 for the event. Awesome. So Restaurant Week, again, is going on March 3rd through 7th at the Gig Harbor Waterfront. Josh, can you give out the website where people can find more information one more time? Okay, on Facebook, Gig Harbor's Waterfront Restaurant Week will get you there. And if you want more information on uh, the Sip and Stroll, you can find the um, Sip and Stroll information on the Gig Harbor Wine and Food Festival Facebook page. All right. And if you make it down to Gig Harbor, make sure you check out Anthony's at Gig Harbor, Bricks 25 Restaurant, and Brimstone Pacific Northwest Smokehouse. Thank you so much, everyone, for telling us a little bit more about Gig Harbor Restaurant Week today. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. us. Coming up on Cast Club Radio, March Madness is almost upon us. We're going to get you ready with an appropriate cocktail and talk a little basketball. Welcome back.
back to Cast Club Radio in a couple minutes. We've got a great new cocktail recipe for you, which we do every week here on Cast Club Radio. All right, you guys, believe it or not, it is almost March Madness, and the Huskies men's basketball team finally cracked the top 25 this week. Oh, yeah. It's about time the Huskies kind of emerged from the pack. It's been a long, long ride for them. There was some bad news for the Huskies this week. I don't know. Can you say it's bittersweet? They did lock up the Pac-12 title. Yeah, but is that more of a, a reflection? Okay, so first of all, setting the stage, they lost on the road to Cal. Uh, and the Huskies, who were the only ranked Pac-12 team, they were the last lone hope for the Pac-12 name, let's say, uh, in the in the conference, falling to Cal. Cal, who had not had a Pac-12 win to their name, not only this year, but going back to early February of last year. So the fact that the dogs lost on the road, technically, you know, it was a close game, three points that they lost by, but still a heartbreaker. To and a team on a 15-game losing streak. Yes. That and, hurts. Yes. <laughs> and just the state of the Pac-12, what does that say that on, on this night when they lost to this terrible team, that they were still able to lock up the title? I think it's more, unfortunately, a reflection of where the Pac-12 is at right now, and they have a big big ways to go when you compare them to other Power Five conferences. And that, I think, is essentially why it took them so long to work their way into the top 25. But, you know, I I do think that in a long season, things like this are going to happen every now and then. Unfortunately, as much as they might think that they didn't, you, you overlook a team a little bit. Um, and of course, it you know we see it happen in football too. We always say that it's uh, every team that plays the Super Bowl champion that's like their mini Super Bowl that week. So I'm sure it was a big game for Cal to try to show that they're not a joke when people are kind of making fun of you for being on such a bad losing streak. Absolutely, and there is something a mentality wise when you go into a game and you have really nothing to lose, and the other opponent has everything to lose. Yes, sometimes you just play looser. You you just. You, you feel more free. And I think that's what Cal had going for them on Thursday night. I, it is a little reminiscent of UW's football season last year because, of course, going down to Cal and losing in heartbreaking fashion, it was also a point in their season that really was a make or break. They yeah. ended up being able to sort of turn it around. They got themselves into a Rose Bowl. It's not like they are any less respected over there on Montlake with Chris Peterson at the helm. And something tells me that Mike Hopkins and the way that he coaches these kids, that this will be, you know, a turning point where, yeah, this can happen. You can't ever underestimate any opponent. You can't ever go into a game thinking that you can just, you know, coast and that they will come out of this, as he says, tougher together. I mean, I liked seeing David Crisp's reaction right after the game. And I mean, he was one of the stars, had 32 points. Mm-hmm. And he still said that, you know, they just they shouldn't have played like that. They didn't play up to their standards and they maybe did overlook Cal a little bit and he even apologized to the fans on Twitter. Yeah, I had a great tweet about it. I really do think that they're going to rebound. Mm -hmm. But do you think that this affects them in any way heading into tournament time here soon? Well, it's funny. Where is your desired seed in the tournament? That's the the funny thing is, of course, it all depends on what happens in the Pac-12 tournament in Las Vegas. But do you want to be an eight or nine seed? Because then once you get past the first round, you will end up having to play perhaps a first round seed. It's all like an interesting strategy. I talked to one person, our coworker, who believes that they might sit right in around that seven or eight spot, but it could be, it could be, end up, I don't know, what is your desired, who do you want to face? Yeah. Would you rather face a tougher opponent in the first round? Well, they did come close to beating Gonzaga earlier in the season, but is that a team that you want to face again now? 
and on a different neutral ground, though, that might be interesting because, yeah, they were they were over there in Spokane, and that's a really tough place to play, but they did look like they played some of their best basketball. I know it's all kind of a chess match. Who's going to have who's going to have a good run? Who's like riding a high of momentum a lot of times? It's so much of a game of energy, and Coach Hop has said that. That's why he's calling all the fans to the final two games that they'll have of the home season here coming up next week, But because energy is such a big part of it. And I think at least seeing the reaction, you mentioned David Crisp, his leadership role on the team, I think they have the potential to take that energy to turn something negative that happened on Thursday into something positive ultimately. Well, they play Stanford tomorrow. We will uh, check back in with you guys about, <laughs> about where they're at soon. But right now we're just excited. I can't believe March Madness is coming up this soon. Justin, I know you're pretty excited about the ranking of another team in this state soaring, right? Gonzaga, you know, just continues to make themselves now a perennial powerhouse. And as a a guy who grew up in Spokane, I'm proud to to see them continue to do well. So uh, in honor of March Madness coming up around the corner, we're going to make our March Madness uh, cocktail recipe. In a shaker, you need a half ounce of vanilla simple syrup. We use the uh, simple syrup from the folks at Raft Company. You need an ounce of pineapple juice, half an ounce of lemon juice from a fresh squeezed lemon, and then two ounces of our heritage distilling blood orange flavored vodka. So in a shaker, put some ice, half ounce of the vanilla simple syrup, one ounce of pineapple juice, half ounce of lemon juice, two ounces of blood orange vodka, shake it, and then strain it into a glass and garnish it with a cherry. And it's a beautiful color. Uh, got a great kind of citrusy, tangy, sweet flavor to it. And it's just a nice, pretty easy cocktail to make. Love it. You got to have special cocktails this time of year. That's right. That's right. Well, if you're interested in this week's cocktail recipe, which of course you are, you should check it out at heritagedistilling.com. There's also past recipes that we have done on the show, and you can check out past episodes of the podcast as well. Make sure you don't miss a minute of Cast Club Radio. And don't forget to send us comments, questions, or topic suggestions to our email at castclubradio at heritagedistilling.com. And you can find us on Facebook at Cast Club Radio. You can find us on Instagram and on Pinterest. Also, you can check out recipes at heritagedistilling.com. And please don't forget to rate us on iTunes. As always, thank you so much for listening and hanging out with us for this hour. We will catch you next week here on Cask Club Radio. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling. Check us out on MyNorthwest.com to learn more and catch up on past episodes. Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling.